From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 10th, 2023 from a Dodge Durango in Malden, South Carolina, folks. That's right, I'm in the great little town of Malden. You can hear the traffic go by from this Starbucks parking lot. I'm sorry, it's not a soundproof vehicle, but we're on location. And just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. And I want to let you know right off the top that we will be having our first live taping of 2023 at Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson, Thursday, April 13th, 2023 at 6 p.m. That's right, folks. We are back on the road. The lead is ready to laugh and love with you on the road. That's why we set up at SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org slash Lead Laugh Love. You can find all the details about our live taping at Kite Hill Brewing on April 13th at 6 p.m. RSVP, it's free, but we want to know how many people are coming because we're bringing swag. We got a lot of great things to give away. We're going to have some of your favorite people out there on the pod for our live taping at Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson. Now that I've gotten all that paperwork out of the way, let's talk about what's in this episode. We're taking a look at some House activity on the hate crimes bill that was passed and a new Freedom Caucus that's cropped up under the Copper Cupola in Columbia. That took three reads. <laughs> we have new national unemployment data for you, and we hear from Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell, as well as two South Carolina lawmakers on the Hill during his semi-annual testimony. And we got some more deets for you on the massive $2 billion Scout Motors investment in the Midlands, and much more. The lead also loves hearing from our listeners. That's why we have a voicemail box set up at 803-563-7169. I'm probably looking at you some right now as I'm watching the traffic go through Malden. Maybe you're out there. Maybe you're in the upstate like some of our favorite listeners. Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. We need to know what you're up to, okay? We are running out of people to talk to. We want to know what you're doing. Leave us your name. Maybe some questions you want answered. You know, Daylight Savings Time is right around the corner. We're about to lose our minds again. Tell us how you're handling it. 803-563-7169. Listen up, City Slicker, there's a new Freedom Caucus in town. That's right, on Tuesday, several House Democratic leaders held a press conference to announce that they had formed their own House Freedom Caucus. Well, sort of. Now, there is the right-wing group of some 20 Republican lawmakers who make up the House Freedom Caucus. And now, there is the Freedom Caucus of South Carolina, which House Minority Leader Todd Rutherford founded with Assistant Leader Roger Kirby and Representative Dion Tedder. Here is Rutherford explaining the caucus's purpose. We are here this morning to announce that we requested from Charles Reed, the clerk of the house, permission to start the Freedom Caucus. And what we have started is the real Freedom Caucus in South Carolina, not the demagogues that pretended to bring DC politics down to South Carolina and destroy people's lives, but a real Freedom Caucus, that one that wants to limit government intervention in the people's lives, one that cares about government control. And what we have seen from the other now the fake Freedom Caucus, is no desire to limit government intervention, no desire to limit government destruction, and in fact, they have voted for everything that we believe is bad and continued, continued to allow government expansion. And so what we have done is create 
our Freedom Caucus, the real Freedom Caucus. We filed the paperwork and we intend to follow up and look at how we're going to control membership after this point. But what we are not going to do is tolerate anyone stealing the name of freedom when they don't intend to follow what freedom means. And so now we have stolen that mantle back and we intend to make sure that government does not intervene in people's lives and take away the freedoms and liberties that people have the way that they have already voted. The group right now doesn't have legislative priorities other than getting government out of the way of people's lives. And it is still growing its membership. There are no rules that members have to sign to be a part of the caucus, which caused consternation for House Freedom Caucus Republicans, who said that the Republican caucus rules were improper, specifically the one allowing caucus members from campaigning against one another. Rutherford said no one group has a monopoly on freedom. I've watched their votes, and we have obviously consulted with them on different votes, and I've watched as they, has, uh, as they have voted for things that were unconstitutional. Even though it was pointed out to them, they voted for it anyway, they supported it. And again, I don't know how you support freedom and don't support the Constitution. I don't know how you support freedom and vote against things that would allow individuals to have more freedom, not less. And so this misnomer that they have created ends today. We have a real Freedom Caucus that other members can come and join and be a part of and truly vote to stop government uh, growth. Now let's pivot to the House Freedom Caucus and their leader, Adam Morgan of Greenville, who called the Freedom Caucus of South Carolina a stunt and a ruse to spur confusion. Yeah, look, this is nothing more than an attempt to confuse uh, voters. Uh, it's the height of irony that it's the most liberal members of the House. Uh, they've never supported individual liberties or freedoms. Uh, they oppose school choice, medical choice. Uh, they can't even give clear definitions uh, for what a woman is. Um, that, this is just uh, probably an attempt from leadership or the ruling coalition to try to confuse and misinform voters. And it's unfortunate. Uh, you know, it, it, some people say imitation is the serious form of flattery, and I understand the Democrats have just repeatedly been uh, shellacked in elections, uh, cycle after cycle, and they're really struggling. I can see it being enticing to ride the coattails of the new group in town who's really shaking things up and, and growing, and we're getting a lot of new members. So I can see maybe, you know, them wanting to do that, but, you know, it's just dishonest. It's a really bad look. Everybody knows uh, what the Freedom Caucus is, and, you know, they, they don't need to try to uh, imitate us uh, in order to have electoral victories. If they, if they change their policies fundamentally and start uh, pushing what we're doing, expanding choice, protecting individual liberties, uh, cutting people's taxes, that's how they'll win elections, not by trying to distract and confuse voters. Representative R.J. May, who runs a political consulting firm in Lexington and ran campaigns against fellow Republicans who his group sees as Republicans in name only, said this is typical activity of Democrats. We're used to the Democratic Party stealing things. They steal our money to grow the size and scope of government. Uh, they steal childhood innocence by pushing a woke liberal agenda. Uh, and they steal elections. Uh, so it's no surprise that members of the Democratic Party would steal the Freedom Caucus name brand. Um, if, they, if there's anything good in this world, they seek to destroy it. So uh, once again, we have Democrats playing politics and not being serious about policy. Uh, but we'll continue to defend our brand, uh, a brand that uh, is strong throughout the nation uh, and here in South Carolina. You know, there were, there were 20 brave House Freedom Caucus members that stood up to the establishment of Washington, D.C. That's what the 20 members here in South Carolina are going to do. And we're going to continue to do it. Um, and uh, we look forward to the fight with uh, a foe group that, once again, steals anything good in this world. And uh, we're going to defend our name. May didn't specify what elections Democrats have stolen, and I'm also not aware of, nor have I seen any evidence of, any election being stolen by either Democrats or Republicans. So just a little clarification there. Anyway, we're midway through the legislative session and now have two caucuses fighting for your freedom.
One of the big fights for freedom this week in the House centered around a ceremonial bill to make the second Saturday in November of each year Women in Hunting and Fishing Awareness Day in South Carolina. Age 3868 is typically one of those bills that just gets rubber stamped and passed out without a blink of the eye because guess what? It really doesn't do anything. Hot tip. However, the House Freedom Caucus and one of its leaders, R.J. May, proposed an amendment to define a woman as individuals whose sex at birth was female. And many folks were caught off guard on Tuesday when that amendment was proposed. In fact, the bill was actually carried over until Wednesday so folks could regroup. Lexington Republican Micah Caskey candidly admitted his confusion and shame over previously voting for not tabling the amendment the day before. Caskey then got into a back and forth with Anderson Republican April Cromer, and you'll also hear Speaker Pro Tem Tommy Pope refereeing. Take a listen. I was scared, right? I'll admit it to you. I'll admit it to my constituents. I was scared because I thought about what happens in politics, which is people deny the truth, the truth of what's happening, and the pursuit of something more shallow. So they deny it in the pursuit of short-term political gain. For what? Should we address issues related to gender and how it interacts with society today? I think we should. I don't think this is the bill to do it. I don't think this is the bill to do it. I think that we can just say it's Women's Hunting and Fishing Day and go on about the business of this state. Ms. Cromer had a question. Will you take that question, no, sir? let's find out. Yes, yes ma'am. Thank you. Um, so my question is, do you know what a woman is? How do you define a woman? Well, that's a great question. And, and I'm glad that you spend so much of your time preoccupied with that question. I would thought that you would know being a woman. Uh, and, and I'm interested in question your The question was, I know what a woman I'm is. I'm speaking. We'll, we'll ask questions answer. Ms. Cromer, you can be heard, but allow him to respond, and then you again can ask Thank a you. question. Mr. Mr. McCaskey is going to be recognized to respond, then I'll allow you to ask Thank another you. question. Thank you. So, th again, I, I appreciate your interest in that question. I'm a little disappointed that you have not come to that conclusion on your own, but f to me, Porter. A woman is a person who is born as a woman. Now, I'm not a biologist. I don't know whether it's a, a specific genetic combination. Uh, I've always understand it to be a woman has a vagina. I, I, I'm not naturally. Now, are there arguments around the edges? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not as smart as you. I'm just a dumb, small-town lawyer who's trying to make his way in the world today. So again, I appreciate your preoccupation with it, but I've always just understood a woman is a woman. And if you're confused, I encourage you to get help to figure that out. And in a bipartisan fashion, the Democrats and Republicans voted 90 to 21 to strike down the amendment, which defines women as individuals whose sex at birth was female. And Cromer, as well as other members of the House Freedom Caucus, supported the final bill, along with the entire House, with a vote of 114 to zero. But just a little refresher here that the Republican-controlled House already has established precedent for defining what a woman is. Last May, in passing the Transgender Student Athlete Ban Bill, the House voted 70 to 33 to declare that the biological sex of a student at birth determines what type of athletic team they can play on at a public K-12 school or college or university in South Carolina. Now, before that debate on the hunting and fishing bill, there was a brief debate on a bipartisan workforce development bill. RJMA again and the Freedom Caucus pushed amendments to outlaw diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts tied to workforce projects, as well as outlawing funding to any companies that utilize environmental, social, and governance rating practices. That's known as ESG. All those amendments were voted down, and the bill progressed forward. 
Now this was all just a warm-up act for the Wednesday session, which centered around the hate crimes bill, H3014, which enhances penalties for those who commit violent crimes because of a person's immutable characteristics, such as someone's race, color, religion, sex, gender, national origin, sexual orientation, or physical or mental disability. During the two-plus-hour-long debate, ten amendments were introduced, nine of which were by the House Freedom Caucus members that were shot down forcefully by top House Republicans. The amendment process started with Greenwood Republican John McCravey removing the language in the bill that defines sex as the definition set forth in the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Bostick v. Clayton County, Georgia, which found that a statutory violation of Title VII occurs if an employer intentionally relies in part on an individual employee's sex when deciding to discharge that employee. Because discrimination on the basis of homosexuality or transgender status requires an employer to intentionally treat individual employees differently because of their sex, an employer who intentionally penalizes an employee for being homosexual or transgender also violates Title VII. Here's McCravey. If this language in this bill passes, our own courts can and likely will at some point in the, in the future use this as a recognition of the manufactured genders in other contexts. This could be used, this bill, the language in this bill could be used as an argument against the Save Women's Sports Act. It could be used as an argument about bathrooms. It could be used as an argument about your birth certificate. And the list goes on and on. So you see, I think you see what the real agenda here is by inserting this word uh, gender. It's not about hate crimes. It's about getting this language inserted somewhere in the South Carolina law so it can yet later be used in arguments that have nothing to do with hate crimes. Greenville Republican Jason Elliott is the only openly gay lawmaker in Columbia, and he was the first to hit back against that amendment dealing with the definition of sex, especially because he had a similar amendment that was later adopted by voice vote to strip that definition. Here he is. If you are a white person or a brown person or a black person who's uh, murdered because of your color, this would apply only after the defendant has been convicted of that murder. The same would apply if you're a Christian and you're victimized because of your, someone hates you because you're a Christian. Same scenario would apply. Same would be if you are a male or a female. And let's just say it, or if you're a transgendered person. And, and you, you know, we can't be saying that we're gonna take out, we're good with all these things and we, we don't hate people, but it's okay to go burn down a transgendered person's house. You know, uh, national origin. If someone hates me because I'm an American or hates you because you're an American and they move to kill, they try to kill you or they do kill you or they burn down your house or any scenario we're talking about and that defendant is a violent, convicted felon, this would apply. So in this time, in this place, to say in South Carolina, when this is an aspirational goal, it's a message that we don't put up with hate. It's a message that we are a place that South Carolinians can be proud of. I'm optimistic and I know that most South Carolinians would support these things and say this is not who we are. It applies to us here and it applies to people coming here. You think we're attracting and we're going to attract companies like BMW, Volvo, uh, Boeing, and now Scout. The debate continued over other amendments, including one posed by Spartanburg Representative Josiah Magnuson, who is a redhead, and proposed to include hair color as an immutable characteristic. Here he is. We recently heard from uh, Representative McCravey, which was correct, that 
there is a sense that when you list certain protected classes that you exclude all others. And that is what I am of the opinion of that this bill does, is that it excludes other things from being protected classes. If, if we list these as protected classes, wh why? Why would we protect some people on certain bases and not others? And so this actually protects people based on their hair color. Needless to say, that amendment got shot down, and House Judiciary Committee Chairman Weston Newton took the House well to talk about other amendments and simply explain the bill that covers everyone. It protects everybody in this room. It protects everybody in this building equally. Read the bill, read the language of the bill, and this penalty enhancement type approach has been, notwithstanding some of the emails you've gotten earlier today, held to be constitutional. There are plenty of folks that don't let the truth get in their way when they want to advocate for a particular position. And in the closing argument, we heard from Chesterfield Republican Richie Yao, who is not one who typically speaks of the well, but he called out the antics of some of his fellow Republicans. As a pastor, I'm not perfect by any means. As a legislator, I'm not perfect. I strive to do better, but I strive to love my fellow man and I try my best to strive when we have a serious bill that comes to this floor to show the love of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ across the board. I, and, and we have appeared at times today, it seems in my mind, to make a mockery of a bill that whether we like, whether we dislike, a mockery of. The bill eventually passed 84 to 31 with Democrats only briefly speaking on the bill and occasionally asking questions whenever Republican amendment sponsors would allow it. But they held a press conference afterward thanking a majority of the Republican counterparts for pushing through the bill and calling upon Senate Republicans, several of whom held up the bill last session, to pass it. North Charleston Democrat Wendell Gilliard, who has pushed the bill named after the late Senator Clementa Pickney, who was gunned down with eight other members of his Mother Emanuel Amy Church congregation in 2015, once again called for the Senate to act. South Carolina should not be the last state in the nation to depend on federal laws to prosecute crimes like the one that took the lives of nine souls, Mother Emanuel Church. This is what we call a one-size-fits-all because this is the we the people bill. We the people. And we have to understand that. The Palmetto State is known as a great place to live, work, and do business. It is clear now more than ever that to encourage prospective companies to locate here, workers to live here, tourists to visit here, and families to thrive here, we must also be in the business of advocating for bills that work for our community, for the betterment of our state and our future. So a common sense bipartisan bill named after one of the Senate's own, who again was murdered with eight other black parishioners and one of the worst hate crimes the state has seen. That bill's now in the Senate Judiciary Committee. In a state that wants to crack down on crime and add additional penalties to those who commit crimes while out on bond, this bill should move, right? And the House Budget Week kicks off on Monday at 1 p.m. for the $14 billion state budget. 
We'll look more into that budget on Tuesday and what to expect. Let's start off business with some much-anticipated data. The February jobs report. Yes, that's right. That came out Friday, and it showed that hiring remained robust, with 311,000 jobs added for the second month of the year. Now, that's down from the 504,000 that were added in January. This move did push up the unemployment rate to 3.6% from 3.4%. Data. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell spoke before two congressional committees this week in his semi-annual economic update to Congress. Powell said the unemployment rate numbers and latest consumer price index data measuring inflation will shape just how much the Free Open Market Committee raises rates at their upcoming meeting on March 21st and 22nd. We're talking about a quarter point or a half a point. That's the question. Now here's what Powell had to say before the Senate Banking Committee, which Senator Tim Scott is the ranking member on. With inflation well above our longer-run goal of 2%, and with the labor market remaining extremely tight, the FOMC has continued to tighten the stance of monetary policy, raising interest rates by 4.5 percentage points over the past year. We continue to anticipate that ongoing increases in the target range for the federal funds rate will be appropriate in order to attain a stance of monetary policy that is sufficiently restrictive to return inflation to 2% over time. In addition, we are continuing the process of significantly reducing the size of our balance sheet. We are seeing the effects of our policy actions on demand in the most interest-sensitive sectors of the economy. It will take time, however, for the full effects of monetary restraint to be realized, especially on inflation. In light of the cumulative tightening of monetary policy and the lags with which monetary policy affects economic activity and inflation, the committee slowed the pace of interest rate increases over its past two meetings. We will continue to make our decisions meeting by meeting, taking into account the totality of the incoming data and their implications for the outlook for economic activity and inflation. Although inflation has been moderating in recent months, the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. As I mentioned, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be, to be higher than previously anticipated. As the ranking member of the committee, Scott gave an opening statement after chairman, Ohio Senator Cher Brown. And Scott said the effects of out-of-control inflation have been caused by out-of-control government spending. Now let it be known that multiple factors have contributed to the current 6.4% inflation rate. Here's Senator Scott. Seeing policies posited and then implemented that led to the worst inflation in 40 years, seeing our inflation at 9.1%, seeing American families struggle because of the weight of the government on their shoulders, seeing the devastation from South Carolina to Ohio. It's unbelievable that the progressives in this country who caused a 9.1% inflation would then turn somewhere besides in the mirror to see the absolute devastation caused by their out-of-control spending is remarkable. Remarkable. To stop the out-of-control inflation caused by the out-of-control spending, the Fed steps in to 
cool the economy. Well, the definition of cooling the economy is necessary because we've seen the most radical approach to a problem that was in our rearview mirror being used as a Trojan horse to bring in a level of socialism and spending that our nation has not seen in my lifetime. Now, we're going to keep our focus on the economy with testimony from USC research economist Dr. Joey Von Nessen back here in Columbia. He was before a House Ways and Means subcommittee this week expounding upon the impact of the $2 billion Scout Motors announcement as he and Commerce Secretary Harry Leitze pitched the $1.3 billion infrastructure incentive package that lured the company here with hopes of creating up to 4,000 new jobs. Here's Dr. Joey Von Nessen. And we can also see the effect of the automotive industry and the growth that it has experienced, not only by looking at how it's been expanding relative to the state as a whole and bringing up the state's level growth, but also by comparing how it's been growing relative to other states in the Southeast. So if we just look at the automotive industry across the Southeastern United States, in this case, we can look over the past decade, we see that South Carolina has been ranked consistently number one. The incentives package will include things like an interchange to the site on Interstate 77, road improvements around the facility in Blythewood, a railroad bridge to the 1,100-acre site, a $25 million training center owned by Midlands Tech, and other infrastructure improvements. Also, another 4,000 jobs and another $2 billion investment could come in phase two for the site in the future. That would include manufacturing another vehicle line. Commerce Secretary Leitze told the members of the panel that there were three main reasons Scout chose Columbia out of 74 other sites it was evaluating. First is the infrastructure. Uh, The way the the site is located, where it's located, its access to interstate highways, the rail access that we're going to provide, the water and sewer, the power, and uh, just our location of South Carolina uh, in the middle of the southeast region, which is the fastest growing region of the country, and in the middle of the eastern seaboard, where we are literally uh, one day's drive from two-thirds of the U.S. population, uh, just makes our location very attractive for a company like Scout that's going to market their, their vehicle as an American vehicle made by Americans in, in America. The second uh, key factor that he enumerated was the workforce. Uh, the Columbia Midlands area is the last untapped significant labor pool in South Carolina. It's probably the largest untapped labor pool in the Southeast for automotive workers. Uh, we have uh, over uh, 800,000 uh, people in the MSA. Uh, we have a labor pool of over 400,000. Columbia has uh, 55,000 college students in the, in the Midlands area. Uh, Columbia is actually one of the youngest populations in the country with an average age of 33 years and seven months. So, uh, you know, that, those are all significant things. And then the third factor that he enumerated uh, was our willingness to work with them to get things done. Uh, they began the conversation with us uh, just a little bit over two months ago. We were really one of the last places that they brought under consideration. And in two months, we established to them that we could build the right site for them from scratch, that we could do it on their schedule, and, uh, and, and we could make it ready in time for, for them to begin production of the vehicle by the end of 26, uh, 2026, which is their plan. They looked at 74 sites all over the country, and they determined that South Carolina 
was uh, the best site for them. Now, when you think, okay, that was a lot of money to give one company, think about this. Other states have done the same. It's just the nature of the beast these days. Talking about $1.8 billion for a Hyundai plant near Savannah in Georgia. Tennessee is building a Ford electric vehicle plant and investing $1 billion to get them there. Also, $1.25 billion in incentives in North Carolina for the Vietnamese car manufacturer VinFast. Now, the House passed that incentive measure 96-12 to 12 on Thursday. The 12 Republicans who voted against the measure are part of the House Freedom Caucus. And on Thursday, the governor announced William Floyd as his pick to replace outgoing Department of Employment and Workforce Director Dan Elzey. Floyd has spent 35 years practicing labor and employment law, including time at Nixon Pruitt. He recently served as due chief of staff and acting director of the agency since March 1st. Elsie led the agency for four years and navigated it through the pandemic response. Floyd's nomination now goes to the Senate. Hey, y'all, welcome to the wind down section. Oh, and boy, do I need it. Do I need a break from this news cycle or what, <laughs> A.T.? Oh, you do, bud. Oh, That's absolutely. right, folks. A.T. Shire, leads producer right there. Hey oh, there, thank buddy. You, thank you, thank you, I thank hate you. that I feel like I'm back on the road. I am back on the road. I'm distant from you. I'm talking to you on a screen. I need to see your face. Yes. I don't like this. I do like that you are much more in a natural environment for you, the, and I do mean a Durango, Durango. versus a Mustang the versus a Mustang. Crunch. Yeah, I, 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 I'm happy to see you there at least. Per my contract, though, it has to be an American-made vehicle, as you know. You gotta, you gotta see this guy's rider. It is disgusting. And I have know? to. I, these seats lay completely flat, as is my, my style, <laughs> yeah. my diaphragm. Yeah, Gavin, they are lay flat, so uh, that's the <laughs> only way he can travel. And uh, um, yes, it is a Carolina squat, so we are. More than four inches ramped up. Your your weight, you are just you're completely horizontal driving with your feet, right? <laughs> I can't see what's in front of me. State tags. <laughs> anyway, Gavin, we have a call today, okay? Go ahead. That I have been sitting on since February eighth. You've been okay? withholding a call this entire yes. time. Uh, I know we've been going through some call DTs yeah, we have. here, but um, we have this call, and I've saved it for this moment specifically. Mm. Okay, like this was this was pre thought out. I haven't forgotten about this person, but the call mm -hmm. it has to do with this weekend. So, are you ready, Gavin? Yeah. Why is is something happening with the moon? Is the moon doing something? <laughs> you tell me. Okay, you tell me. Okay. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> let me look. <laughs> here we go. Uh, hello, Gavin and At. This is Millage calling from the Low Country. First time, long time. As I'm sure everybody is aware, the time change is coming up on us in a few weeks. And I was talking with a couple friends of mine tonight, and we're wondering why this is still a thing. We know it's not for the farmers. They always work from sun up to sundown, regardless of what clocks say. So doing a little bit of research on my own on ChatGPT, what I found is that the first instance of daylight savings time comes from an entomologist in New Zealand who just wanted an extra hour of daylight to collect insects. And funny enough, in the southern hemisphere, they change their clocks at the same time that we do. So when we lose an hour in our winter, they lose an hour in their summer. And when we gain an hour in our summer, they gain an hour in their winter. And that makes 
perfectly good sense for them, they get a whole extra hour of sunlight in the coldest time of the year. And what I was talking with my friends about is that I'm pretty sure that we have passed a bill in either the House or the Senate, and it hasn't been fully enacted yet. So my question for you two is uh, what do we, the people of South Carolina, have to do to uh, end this, frankly, barbaric and archaic practice and uh, get this law put into the books? And uh, also, uh, on my way out, uh, Crocs, only when they're in four-wheel drive mode, ranch, but only to dip pizza crust into, and hot dogs are good with ketchup or mustard, but never both. Have a good day. Millage, thank you for calling. Great to hear from someone down in the low country. It's been a minute. Love your passion about daylight savings time. <laughs> you know, and my biggest beef before we get into it is that it's singular daylight saving time, which is just no one yes. says that. You know, it's savings. You hate Let's that. just call it savings time, folks, because ugh. it's like when you say, oh, you have to say well instead of good. I just say good because I just don't. <laughs> You know, you have to say may instead of can. You know what? I am a man of the people. Just because my father gave me a podcast doesn't mean I hey, speak all proper. Go like. off, King. Go off, King. Go off. I'm sorry. I'm in the upstate. I'm feeling my, I'm in my fields. He's feeling Malden, baby. I'm in Malden. <laughs> Gavin is the only guy doing a podcast in his front seat in Malden. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, I'm looking. I'm looking straight across the street at Dunkin' Donuts. Just Dunkin'. He um, had a look. Okay, he had a there is a question. There. We're talking about daylight saving time, and yes, Ugh. you were right, Millage, that there was some activity on that back in the day. In fact, in 2020, our governor Henry McMaster signed a bill into law that made daylight saving time permanent, which means mm. we wouldn't be changing our clocks twice a year. But that is contingent upon an act of Congress, which we know. That doesn't always happen. Of course, we yeah. did see in March of last year that the Senate unanimously approved legislation that would make daylight saving time permanent across the United States. But that got stalled in the House. So we are still stuck on uh, that. So I guess the well, only thing you could do at this point would be to call your representative, talk to your folks in the delegation, <laughs> and uh, make your plea. I'm not saying you go to Congress and storm the Capitol. I would never suggest that. But We would never. We would never. <laughs> but we all know that... Uh, with the time change, there are always a variety of effects that mess with people's circadian rhythm. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to be taking all of next week off. <laughs> 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 the podcast will be done from my bed, literally. I will be horizontal. So, <laughs> uh, Millage, thank you for the call. I loved your little hot takes at the end, even though the the ranch for the crust and pizza I don't like. Mm. That bothers me a little bit. Mm -hmm. Love the crock take. Do not put ketchup on that hot dog. Anyway, speaking of mental distress, needs Gavin. To be a freedom caucus, hot dog freedom caucus right here. That's let correct. Let him put the yes. ketchup a on. Third, hey, we got two. Let's get a third freedom caucus. Freedom for the dogs. Food okay, let them out. Let them out. Okay. Anyway, Gavin, you sent me something this week that has. It has bothered both of us, right? Mm. Do you want to explain what it is, or would you like me to do the honors? I follow this one bartender in Charleston, Holy City Handcraft, and he posted this this story the other day where this I guess the new trend is to 
whip up an espresso martini, which I have come to terms with. At first, I was really anti because I've gone through the 90s, but then he and then they ruin it. Slowly grating Parmesan cheese over top of it, and you're just like, "What in the god is happening?" Yeah. Well, first of all, is nothing sacred anymore? No. Where does the cheese end? I have okay? no idea. Where Where does it stop? And all, all right? you're looking for is a cheese-free lifestyle as much oh as you can god. help it. Because yeah. you are a victim. I am just I I'm I'm taking it from all sides. It's it's like I'm I'm constantly being attacked by the cheese. What I will give this uh absurdity, this this clout chasing thing that they've done, uh I will say that there is natural uh MSG in Parmesan cheese. So yeah. it is sort of just going to bump Sweet up all the flavor. You know, yeah, it's just, like- it it truly is just a flavor enhancer. And I do agree that uh Parmesan cheese has more uses than a lot of people give it credit for, but sure. I don't think uh, espresso this martinis is, <clears throat> is the place. Um, I just, I, I, I'm pretty sure you've never had one. I've never had one because I've I, never had coffee, and I'm lactose intolerant. And it's all, it's all just a chain reaction. I get it, and I don't want to traumatize you, and I apologize for that. But I um, just had one the other night at Hall's. An espresso martini, small, not a cheesed place. one. Not a, not a cheese one. one. I didn't ask yet because it's not mainstream yet. And uh, you know they're just good on their own. You know it's it's like a it's a fancier Red Bull yeah. and vodka. Let's just call it what does it, it is. <laughs> does it need a cheese? You know I don't think so. You and know? I do know I do know uh, that that espresso martinis are the hotness right now. You know mm-hmm. like it's a it's a big fad. Everyone wants them. And I also know a lot of bartenders. And I I know that they hate making espresso. Martinis. Yeah, and I used to be, and I that's why I didn't used to order them because I'm like, oh gosh, the eye rolls, I feel yeah. bad for them. But then they you look at everything it. else that they whip up, and you're like, what's the difference at this point? And I think they've gotten it down to a practice where like they expect to <laughs> produce this many. Um, but I I made my own espresso martini a couple months ago and had some friends over. I think I've talked about this before, and it was literally just espresso. And vodka. <laughs> yeah, I think that's okay. And that what was like a red it? eye. And then I was like, oh, maybe I should put some sugar in here because I didn't have any Kahlua at the time. I put some cream in and it was like, whoa, like really ramped everybody up. So mm-hmm. uh, if you want a real one, come to Uncle GJ's. Yeah, and I got to say, Gavin has no martini in his blood because part, part I had never had a, I had never had a martini in his life. And his dad, life. Gavin's dad, in my life, yeah, in my life. Yes, and Jay Jackson, dad, father of this podcast, yes. Father of this podcast, who this podcast Pod wouldn't happen without him. He <laughs> made me my first martini, and it was one of the best things I ever had. And I said I should put olive oil in it. So actually, yes. I was on the forefront of savory martinis. Good anyway, with Gavin, with that, with I need a martini. I need with one right now. With all those compliments. Gavin, you know what? Get one for the road, okay? Get one for the road. Let me get a big one for the road. It's only two Drive hours. Drive back with one of those martinis. <laughs> hit them with the credits. Have a good weekend. We're sorry about daylight savings. Don't breathe in the air. It don't is filled change. with pollen. The lead, says, the lead says don't change your clocks. Fight the good fight. Okay, Gavin. So you'll be leaning back, drinking a martini, driving with your feet in your squat on in the way back down to Columbia. Vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. No big so deal. if anyone sees a wildly out of control Durango on the road. Take a picture. Flag them down. <laughs> Call 911. This is an emergency. Yeah. Okay, oh, hit it with the outro. It's fun to laugh again on the podcast. Laugh with us. Give us a call like Millage, 803-563-7169. Tell us about your struggles with daylight savings time. We need to know. And again, thanks for listening to the pod. You can also show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or, like I said, 
leave us a message, 803 And you can stay up to date with all the latest news on sctp.org and And don't forget to support your local newspapers. I'm Gavin Jackson for the South Carolina Lead. Be well, South Carolina. Yep. Dolphin hole. Yep. I've never had anyone complain. I'll put it that way. I've never had any complaints. Never, I've never had any problems with it. My ears are hurting so much. <laughs> <laughs> These AirPods. <laughs> Brag. <laughs>